Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A warning before this episode begins. I made a terrible error with my microphone while recording this episode, so it doesn't sound very good on my end. I apologize deeply, but just so you know that I know that something went wrong uh, hopefully you can still, uh, it's not awful, but it's, it's not very good. Uh, but yes, welcome back to the scrapyard. And, uh, here is your less than perfect episode. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. Oh, this will be good. Welcome back to another Scrapyard. I'm Seamus Byrne and joining me this week, we're having a bit of a newsy chit-chatty special this week and so I couldn't think of anybody better to just sit around and talk about all the random news happenings across all things Blizzard is Luke Lancaster. He's the Read Pop content manager. You would know him from behind the scenes at such things as Comic Con here in Australia and PAX Australia um, and all sorts of those cool events. Luke, thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me on. I mean, I guess this is the second time, so you did something right first time out of the gates. Phew, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope you had a better summer than I did. Um, I mentioned uh, on a previous episode that I have been dealing with a broken collarbone and I am on the mend um, slowly, but Surely, but um, surely you had a better summer than a broken bone. Well, I had an excellent Christmas because I was uh, very much Northern Hemisphere, so I got to dodge as much of the summer as possible this year, which, given the heat that we had in Sydney, would do again any year that they would have me back. True, like wearing, you know, cool coats, I imagine. I mean, if there's one thing about cold weather, it's at least you get to wear a nice coat, which has pockets for carrying things. Oh, absolutely. Coats and snow. It, it, it felt like Christmas with snow, you know? It's <laughs> yes, it's yeah. a rude awakening coming back and seeing all the still very much winter-themed Christmas decorations, um, but in the middle of an Australian summer. And yeah. we are talking about Christmas in February, so I feel like we're getting off track already. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look, there has actually been a lot of really cool news around the whole sort of Blizzard universe um, over the last few weeks. So um, I thought, yeah, we'd just have a good chit-chat about a bunch of them. And the one that has been really exciting me more than anything else in this last uh, week has definitely been the race to world first with the opening of the Dazar Alor uh, raid, second raid of the Battle for Azeroth expansion. Um, I don't know if you've kind of been anywhere near um, uh, World of Warcraft lately, but um, I've just been kind of watching a lot of it, and um, it's been really fun. I don't know if you kind of saw any of that. I'm going to deep dive on what I loved about uh, watching a bunch of that kind of method stream uh, as they kind of did that race compared to every other time where I've only ever heard... 
um, odds and ends of you know oh yeah hey some some guild they uh, like they they finally killed the the final boss of a raid they cleared it on mythic um, but uh, you know have you been in World of Warcraft lately at all or have you just been too busy traveling? Um, I have been dipping in a little bit. I did absolutely see the Jaina kill though because that seemed like bigger news than a previous world first announcement for raid boss which. Um, I was kind of surprised by it, a little bit taken aback by it, but once I was digging into it, I saw kind of the race and stream that was involved with it, and um, I was really kind of fascinated with how it became almost a spectator sport, and I'm sure this is treading on your toes a little bit, the way you're going to get into it. Um, all good, all good. But seeing it from that side, I thought was really, really creative, because you've always heard the reputations of these guilds, but I guess because it's so competitive, because they are essentially the best players in this game in a PvE environment racing to get this kill, that it was kind of a closed box previously. Like, they didn't want spectators. Again, just hypothesizing a little bit, but you would assume that they wouldn't want any any information getting out until it happened. That was, that's what seems to be really kind of exciting about what... Um, you know, Method did. So they so far have been the only of those kind of major guilds that decided, okay, the day, like they first did it for Old Year, the first raid for Battle for Azeroth. That's where this whole idea started. And, you know, a bunch of them basically went and essentially, um, you know, all went to London. They were out of this uh, like Red Bull gaming cafe and basically spent 16 hours a day kind of streaming that progression raid effort to go from the day the raid dropped to clearing it on Mythic. Uh, and I think in the old year um, example, I think it definitely got some kind of big audience, which people mm-hmm. were pretty fascinated by. Just like you say, because you think it's just some people kind of running a PvE raid. It's not It's not really an eSport in any kind of sense, but it is that kind of top-tier elite gaming you know, where somebody is showing off that they are amazingly good. They are better than you. Like, that's yeah. a really cool thing about watching it. Watching I, somebody I do something. Don't think it's even fair to say they're better. Like, you look at historically the gear level these guys are at when they are getting these first kills, and they're not even playing the same game. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. With um, with this particular clear on um, on the... What's it, I keep forgetting. Desire Law. Um, so, basically, the raid of the Alliance going in to beat up on uh, the uh, Zandalari Troll home city. And, and, like, even the concept of, I think, the raid was really quite cool because it's that whole thing. The first half of the raid, you are playing as Alliance, even if you're a Horde. Um, so you get race swapped into, you know, a different kind of uh, setup. So then you are the team that's running in. And then when you get the kill on King Rastakhan, you then switch to Horde. And then the final three bosses are you essentially chasing the Alliance, you know, as they escape uh, from the city. And that, yeah, that makes Jaina the the. First, you know, first time we've kind of had that style of, um, you know, final boss. Oh, I guess we've had, um, what's his name, Garrosh. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole style of that final encounter clearly was just completely next level in that it took them so long to kind of break through that. And that's what I, I found amazing to watch. And as I said earlier, I, uh, I think before we started the show, uh, I've been sleeping on the couch quite a bit trying to uh, recover from my... Um, you know, shoulder problem, and 
and it's meant that you know I've been sitting in the living room and I've just been popping up the the stream uh, through that first kind of uh, it was pretty much from around the time where they were onto Jaina and I was just like oh I'll just leave that bubbling away in the background and just kind of tune in and out of it um, and. I could not believe how much I enjoyed what really was basically the equivalent of watching, you know, 20 Raiders beat their head against a wall of ice for four days. And that's literally like 16 hours a day um, for four days um, where it just kept looking like they were not going to find the way to get it done. And particularly there was, I think, on the second last day before, because, you know, there was in this whole debate, they were approaching the reset um, which would mean, uh, like, I think, so other guilds got the first kill on every other boss in that raid. Um, and Limit was in front for, I think, you know, for about the last, I think, six, uh, well, five bosses before Jaina. Um, Limit had been ahead. So Limit is a North American guild and Method is a European guild. Um, so there was even some wonderful kind of <laughs> real-world factional <laughs> conflict going on there. Um, but, yeah, like, Limit was ahead and Limit doesn't give out any information about what they're doing, about how they're doing it. But as far as the kind of people who were doing the commentary from the method side of things, they said they were getting kind of leaks of information that were telling them that they were actually approaching the raid in a totally different style to the way method was. So it really did mean kind of they weren't trying to do the same thing. They were definitely doing two completely different runs at this thing. And, uh, as it was approaching that one week reset, there was this whole discussion then where North America gets the reset first. That would mean uh, that Limit would be able to re-clear, get some extra gear and have that advantage if they could get back to Jaina in time. And so the night when Method managed to finish the job, apparently um, at the time that it happened, Limit was about two hours into the re-clear of um, yeah of the raid so it was you know and so they were still waiting because the EU reset still wasn't until the next day so it there really was that this amazing tension of like it's now or never like they basically felt like well you know yeah if Limit gets back there with extra gear of course they're going to get it done mm-hmm. um, and apparently they were at about like 407 408 eye level ish you know and this is what um, you know a raid tier that um, you know, you should be probably in 415s at least. Um, yeah, or like, you know, for, I guess for most guilds, they'd slowly get there. Um, and as even some of the guys who were doing the, the, the casting, they, they were pointing out that they felt like that last fight will get tuned down pretty quickly because um, the biggest problem was right at, at basically one of the, the big problems is this constantly adding... Um, debuff um no not debuff what do you call it? you know basically damage stack yeah um on the raid so that this ice effect basically would keep accumulating on you um and if it basically if it ever gets to 20 stacks you're just going to instantly die but it, it basically meant it would constantly increase the the amount of dps you were just taking automatically um because it was just in this kind of big you know ice scape that jaina had made um and in the in the early phases, there were ways to drop those stacks with these fire kind of effects that were going on. Um, but then in the, in that final phase, uh, it was basically just a DPS race to see, you know, and like that the healers 
were just going completely nuts trying to just keep people it's like we can't really heal people we can just stop them from dying (laughs) um and so it what i think it was about the 345th attempt or something that they actually cleared jaina and you're like that's 345 attempts in essentially a what 10 minute um yeah boss battle um that's that's a lot of minutes i'm not even going to worry about exactly how many hours that is that's a lot of minutes um but it was fascinating because of course each time you're watching them go through it you and i like i know i'm so getting lost in the weeds here right now but it was just i just couldn't believe how watchable it was as a thing where you're watching do the same thing over and over but but and you know and every now and then they'd wipe in phase one for no particular reason and you know just kind of go all right yeah let's try again I guess you've, well, there's been very little exposure to that kind of spectator gaming. I mean, sure, you've got streamers who you will watch playing through single-player experiences, and obviously kind of the complete opposite end of the spectrum of that is professional esports, but this is kind of professional PvE. Um, yeah. at, and again, at, at a level so far and above your average person who plays games. Um, and... The fact that there was a race element to it as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, and, and there really was something in the idea that we couldn't see the other team. That was actually really interesting. It, it, it kind of really increased that tension because everybody pretty much felt like we just wouldn't know until until the moment when Limit announced yeah. they'd done it. We knowing they're know on a clock, but not knowing how long they had left. Yeah. Yeah. That was, and of course, apparently, you know, um, Twitch chat was just, you know, constantly. Yeah, trying to tell them that like, oh, limit. Yeah, limit just did it. Limit's not yeah, out of yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> and you know the casters were kind of like, we know people. The second that happens, our phones will be going off. Like, <laughs> you can stop trying to fake us out, you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, even things like the the um, the production team kind of camera switching was essentially giving us, um, you know, the the view of lots of different members of the raid. Um, which even just for the kind of, uh, you know, um, UI nerds watching people, um, yeah, watching the way that sort of different members of that guild had their UI set up was kind of pretty fascinating. You know, the like the tanks versus the healers, clearly the healers have the big giant heal bar boxes um, to just click the hell out of. Uh, but then even, I can't remember who it was, one of the, I think there's um, one of the guys, I think Deep Shades might have been the guy's name is Warlock. His bottom bar is like completely stock, uh, you know, just stock wizard <laughs> UI, and you sort of go, you know what? Like when when someone is top tier raider and they're just like, yeah, whatever, I don't need a fancy UI. You're like, hey, if it's good enough for him, then maybe I'm getting carried away. Try sort of, oh, if only if only my bottom bars were better organized, I'd be better at playing this game. <laughs> I just need the add-ons. I need my macros. At least he wasn't click. Yeah, Please tell me he wasn't the- clicking. I don't <laughs> think anyone can decide that APM. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, there was a lot of clicks going on that you know weren't visibly bound on screen. He just knows what he needs to press. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was, it was really, really cool. And it, and, and yet they raised like $35,000 for charity, I think as well, you know? Um, so the fact that they're just like, oh, we'll just throw in a children's charity as part of the deal when, you know, we're just going to be nonstop rating anyway, um, was just a really, you know, really nice touch mm-hmm. to the whole thing as well. It's, um, it's... and it felt like test cricket to me in some ways. I, and I'm a fan of test cricket. I know some people aren't, 
but I just liked the idea. Like it felt like that thing where you're kind of, it's not that any one moment is the most important moment, but it's, it's that attrition. build toward, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, to see that final video clip when they finally did it, having watched a bunch of it, like, you know, I've, I've, I've watched those clips before, right, where you kind of know, uh, you just go, oh, cool, man, like they did it. Um, whereas mm-hmm. having watched those faces in the corner of that, like that box over, the, over a series of days and just watching for many, many hours, just watching them stare in the face of not being able to do it. And then to see that release in that final video was like, okay, that is just so amazing. (laughs) What I love about this, I mean, I've always felt that there is space for some kind of competitive PVE um, sort of spectator uh, spectator avenue. But this is such a such a unique experience because how often do you get the world first kills? Like this is this is the race you can't replicate the the narrative around it. Yeah, completely. And, like, that's it. It really now makes me excited for the next uh, raid drop, you know, because it just is that really cool feeling of going, I actually really want to watch these guys do that again, you know. And in some ways, as much as there's that secret information that kind of Limit has up their sleeve, uh, there's something to be said for the kind of fame or infamy that, you know, that comes along with, you know, these these guys now, you know, who probably have more people watching their streams and, and different things because they've started to create the visibility around uh, around what it is they're doing. And as even one of the casters pointed out, they were like, I think, you know, Method's attitude is, um, you know, feel free to watch. Like the one thing they don't share is their comms until afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't hear them calling strats, but I think there's that element to them kind of going, good luck trying to replicate what we do because <laughs> we're the best at doing it. Good luck to you. <laughs> uh, that, well, that was I mean, cool. you're talking about strats, but uh, allegedly Limit was going down a completely different route because there are no real tactics here. I, I don't want to say they're cheesing these fights, but they're they're approaching these in ways that are not the standard method to engage with this boss encounter. Yeah, um, and so Method in particular definitely was um, the way that they approached it. So the, the big difference was um, you, you know, uh, James Water Elemental joins in the fight in Phase 3, um, like as part of the intermission. And then uh, what Method opted to do was essentially to just tank the Elemental to try to keep it out of the fight and, and not kill it. And then they focused, just focused on getting Jaina down as fast as possible. Because um, they just, I think after, you know, a couple of early attempts, they went, we just can't kill it fast enough with those, uh, yeah, with the stacks of the chill effect coming in. They were like, we just can't do it fast enough. So they were like, wait, let's just try. Uh, oh, and because also, yeah, when, if you kill the uh, the elemental in the mythic mode, it splits into two smaller elementals. Oh, and you have God. to deal with those. <laughs> So they kind of went, well, what if we just tank it? And so they had one person dedicated to tanking it. I think they had somebody um, uh, who would do interrupts on it because if it ever got off, it basically had a frost nova effect that would just freeze everybody if it ever gets to use that effect. So they just had somebody who was having to just do perfect timing on the interrupts. Um, you know, and, and then everybody else is just trying to destroy Jaina as quickly as possible. And, but, like, man, there's, like, these, like, pres- you know, there's... Um, it, like mirror images of Jaina coming in and blasting off like these glacial bolts and like there was just this it was 
so nuts what they were doing um, to control this fight and to watch that final video, um, having again, having seen them fail so many times, it really was that moment where you go, it's like the ballet finally worked because you can actually kind of see that that all the effects that they need to avoid and everything that they got them to line up in just the right way. And they had that just perfect little window right in the middle where they could just get on with the job. Um, and yeah, it was, it was nuts and so much fun, but for normal people, now that I've, we've gone way down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah. For normal people who, who want to just kind of have more fun with that raid, I just want to call out, uh, the, uh, the Mecha Talk Mount drop because, that is now, I think, officially in my brain, one of the coolest mounts uh, that is something you can possibly get. I dropped in a Wowhead link there. Um, it's basically the suit that Mechatork is wearing in the fight. Um, I like this gilded robot suit um, with a giant shield on one side of it and, like, just... It just looks so cool. If we thought Sky Golems looked cool, um, yeah, this, this Mechatork drop... Uh, is completely amazing, just, and I'm sure it's going to be one of... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just because any mount that is a giant mech suit, I'm on board with. I mean, the <laughs> yeah. uh, the goblin suit and this, and it, it's just like I, I've always been very into the engineering aesthetic of WoW, and this is so, so good. This is... Yeah, I just... I like... I hate seeing a mount. I shield, it's like, I, I want to come back and farm this, because I know I don't, but I do. <laughs> exactly and i think the um i love that i think the shield on it like has i think it might have um what's his face um the king of the goblins i just his name's disappeared out of my oh, brain oh right it now. does too um yeah so i wonder if yeah i'm not sure, like I'm, i feel like there's gonna be some story attached to <laughs> like why do you have your uh, arch enemy's face on your shield <laughs> And he's like, because he can't help but look at himself. So if I ever fight him, he'll uh, he'll just stare at his own face. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is just one of those nice new ones. Like the Jaina's drop is pretty cool. It, it is essentially a you know, water elemental, like her big fancy one. But I'm like, I've kind of seen elemental mounts before. It doesn't excite me quite as much as that one. Um, so yeah, check that out. I will make sure that link is in the show notes bits. Um. Year of the Pig is happening everywhere in pretty much all of the games. Um, you know, there's you know a tip of the hat to the fact that China is one of Blizzard's biggest customers um, these days. But I love Lunar Festivals anyway, so um, yeah, it's a really cool time of year in most games for picking up cool random bits and pieces. I I think last year I did spend quite a bit of time doing uh, WoW Lunar Festival. Um, stuff and you know quite enjoyed that roaming the world going and finding all the cool um, elders to go and pay respects to I kind of think that's quite a nice little theme and then there's some other missions and things have you kind of run any of that sort of stuff Um, I did last year for a little bit and like a seasonal event in WoW is never going to be enough for me unless it's Hallow's End that's that's neither here nor there Um, (laughs) I do want to talk about have you got your uh, have you got no sorry go on have you got have you got your uh uh, headless uh, horseman mount. I don't want to talk about it, Seamus. I don't want to talk oh, okay. about it. Okay. <laughs> it's been about <laughs> 15 years, and I have run that encounter. I did the math thousands of times, and it has not dropped. Yeah. You're like, once a day on X number of alts every year for. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so anyway, apart from that, the Overwatch skins that came out with uh, the um, uh, Year of the Pig stuff look great. I was like, I, yeah, I haven't really, I haven't really. I seen. was a huge fan of the kind of um, Chinese mythology route that went down last year, and they've just added more characters to that. Um, and I don't think cool. I don't think Zenyatta has ever had a bad legendary skin, uh, and he still doesn't. Uh, Reaper's got this yeah. cool. It, it's just a really good aesthetic that fits in with the season. I mean, I don't think again oh. they've had a bad seasonal event in terms of the new skins they've added, uh, but definitely check them out because it's the kind of thing that's going to make you spend way too much money on loot boxes. <laughs> uh, that's just what we all need. Uh-huh. Well, you know, um, just just think of them as if they are red packets that you're buying for yourself. Sure, that makes it okay. Something, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, I'm just, I, I have, I've, I've found the page where they've got all the new, all the skins, both new and old. It's like, yeah, I do have the uh, the rooster skin from uh, Bastion from I think last year or something. Um, but there are there's some really cool, yeah, really cool skins in there. Um, oh, I see what you mean. Yes, I've just seen the new Zenyatta mm-hmm. one. Why did he? Like, it's so hard when because, like, when he's got so many cool skins, you just can't decide. Is there a random button yet? If you've got skins, like to just say, just randomly pick me a skin. Every I think time you're now. forced to choose. They should have random buttons. They should. Yeah, I think that would be great if you just queue. Oh, I, I, you can change the skin while you're in the queue nowadays. Yes. Yeah, or like can. when you're choosing, I think so. Yeah, at least that's something you can. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to theme up with with some, uh, just you know, theme it to the map. People that you've teamed up with. Yeah, that would be actually. Yeah, that that would be good fun. Yeah. Um, and then what else? Hearthstone. So I think there's a bunch of they've got like a special on packs. Um, I think you can get thirty packs for the price of fifteen or something like that. Like, and it's all of last year's uh, ten from each of last year's sets. Um, and what else? I'm sure the brawl sort of stuff is going to be that. If you say greetings at the moment, it's all happy new year greetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think if you log in at the moment, you just get one free golden card that is like the fireworks card. Yes, that was kind. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that stuff is pretty cool. Um, you know, not all that fancy to it, but you know, why not log in and get a free rare? Card and then you can always dust it and go and get yeah just some other rare card dust. that you've never gotten. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Yeah, take the take it. Um, and yeah, but uh, another cool bit of Hearthstone news is the Hakar viral card back that just actually launched today. Um, and so this kind of crazy little idea. And now when I did an interview with. Um, uh, ben Thompson late last year and he was in town um, and just, you know, completely separate from it. We were just chatting about um, different stuff to do with the blood plague, you know, and, and like we're just throwing around kind of cool stories about old wow stuff. And and I hadn't, at that stage, I hadn't read about all the new cards yet. And so I'm like, is there some kind of a blood plague card thing? 
And then he actually kind of looked at me funny. And I realized now, I think it might have been that thing of going, have you heard something? <laughs> and because he then went, and, and then he just, yeah, and he just sort of said like, oh, we've got some plans when it comes to the blood plague. <laughs> and it seems like this mm-hmm. is it. So uh, it is a really cool card back too. It's like the feathers fluttering in the breeze. Really, really pretty stuff. And then the idea is if you play against somebody who has the card back, then you are essentially infected virally and you get the card back too. So the best viral infection ever. <laughs> this is a throwback to like the most EVE Online shit to ever happen in WoW, right? Um, I, I love the Blood Plague. I think it's my favorite thing in in World of Warcraft history, um, where it was just this completely unintentional debuff that caused actual epidemics in cities. Yeah, it, it was amazing. And I think it was that idea that uh, it was meant to stay contained. I can't remember. So was it a it raid was, or was it a dungeon? It was, I'm pretty sure it was a raid. Uh, and I think how I think um, Patient Zero, uh, Hunter's pets could contract the debuff and if the hunter died um the pet would just vanish rather than uh rather than die as well that's right back to town and summon it (laughs) it would still have the debuff on it and then from there it would just spread and explode low bees in capital cities yeah and so this corrupted blood and it was actually uh, the zolgarub dungeon so that was Mm -hmm. the one but yeah it um Man, this is all the way back to, yeah, patch 1.7, 2005. Um, oh, it was... The, oh, how weird. So it was technically a 20-player raid dungeon. Huh. Oh, that's right, back when so they were all That's That's the player, confusion yeah. on... <laughs> yeah, it's like the confusion. Is it a raid or is it a dungeon? Um, yeah, so exactly that, like you said, it was hunter pets that... Always <laughs> the hunters. That's just... Oh, and look, I even loved it. I, I remember years down the track that um, that some actual scientists. Um, oh, here yeah, I found a, a note about it in in two thousand and nine. Uh, an article was actually published uh, on the causes and effects of the corrupted blood outbreak and how the spread of the corruption uh, actually related to what could, what they could learn from it. When it came to real life, uh, real world diseases and the spread of pandemics, <laughs> um, and there is an am- on the uh, Gamepedia page that I just found about it. There is an amazing screenshot of uh, Orgrimmar with just bodies piled up forever. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my god, there are just bones everywhere. Yeah, that is that is amazing. Um, but yeah, it is it's such a legendary moment. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, it is great that they've kind of got that nod um, because, yes, it was indeed Hakar the Soul Flayer who was the person who spread the, uh, yeah, spread that disease the first time around. But a very, very pretty card back for a, um, yeah, in memory of a truly horrific moment in, in the original game. But also, like, that's, that's the beauty of those moments is the fact that Everybody is dead. Literally everybody is dead in major cities and no one will ever forget it. Unlike whatever other random moment you had where you did a nice fun thing, it's those kind of crazy epic moments that people really, really remember. I remember in the the pre-patch for Wrath of the Lich King, they had a similar thing with the zombie outbreak uh, where you could infect other players and turn into a ghoul. Um, So obviously it was a very curated version of this, but that was... That was a nice throwback, yeah. I thought. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so I do have the Hakar card back. Um, uh, you know, Blizzard sent me a hookup to go, here you go, go, go and feel free to infect people at your leisure. Um, uh, having had, I played a few games earlier today, I can honestly say that I, I saw plenty of the card backs out there as well. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there must have been a bit of RNG stuff going mm-hmm. on where they've, um, you know, randomly given them to some people. Um, but it, it clearly didn't seem to take too long before before it was uh, appearing as uh, most card backs I was encountering. But I, I desperately hope that almost like that kind of weird research thing uh, that they did, that, again, this is, you know, slightly more controlled, but only in the sense that it's only ever um, one-to-one. Um, it's, you know, more of an STD than a, uh, <laughs> than a, than a swine flu. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to know if they can, uh, you know, reveal at some stage, how long did it take to re- you know, like how many people first got it and then how long did it take to reach 1 million, 10 million, however many million. Um, I think that would be a really cool bit of, of stat drop, um, maybe, you know, towards the end of the expansion's yeah, life or something like it's that. It's a really, really interesting cool. way, I guess, to trace the number of unique matchups as well. Cause you got... Almost yeah, track yeah, really that based on the number of people who have earned the card back outside of your original seed pool, right? Because you would only get that if it was a fresh match with someone using the card. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. Yeah, and so, you know, in my case where I hadn't, um, you know, I, over the holidays, I hadn't pushed very hard at all. So I'm kind of up near, you know, 1918 in terms of my level. Um, you know, you wonder if if you kind of get these groupings at first of... You know, everyone around that same level space, and it, it almost kind of you know spreads sl- steadily, virally through all the different uh, you know tiers of of play, um, but kind of spreads out from each one rather than uh, yeah, rather than it just uniformly spreading across all mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> um, look, so what else? There are some other Hearthstone bits and pieces, aren't there? So we yeah, the, oh, yeah, uh, the they, balance um, patch that just a, a bunch yeah. of tweaks. Um, I, I I was just having a look through the way they've actually approached tweaks this time around, and I think, sorry, I'm just scrolling over them now, having a quick read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. every change was cost-based, so no effects were changed on any cards. Um, none of the tweaks were, I guess, mechanical. Um, but what I found interesting was the way um, Gen and Baku have completely changed the way you need to balance based on cost. Completely, yeah. Yeah, and like by yeah by a shifting cost, just removes it from mm-hmm. a deck type. Yeah, yeah, which is um, really, or in the really case of in the case of equality, they had to set it to four um, because if equality goes from two to three, suddenly you can put that in odd pally, and that is not a card you want in odd pally. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point as well. And yeah, it's at, like at four mana, you can still technically. Do the equality consecrate combo, but that's now yeah, a that's an expensive combo. Board clear if that's um, what you're which, doing with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah, really changes the dynamic of what exactly am I trying to do with this card? Um, and then yeah, flame tongue totem goes to three mana up from two, which takes it out of even shaman. Um, cold blood out of mana from one, which takes it out of odd rogue. So yeah, completely. Um, it's yeah, really, really interesting um, how yeah the and because of course there are a whole bunch of other cards as well now that do feed off the whole odd and even sort of elements mm-hmm. as well and 
so yeah, just it, I, th- I mean, I think it's been healthy for ar- archetypes of decks to kind of have those big changes, um, like sorry, to have even an odd sort of concepts. Um, it is just a case of you know not having one wildly better than the other, um, and also I think there's something to be said in the fact that they this is kind of probably the quite a quick um, set of updates uh, compared to, like th- that there were updates quite close to the launch of Rastakhan, and then we've got you know five classic cards being updated in this way as well. It, it feels like that maybe. Um, you know, the, the new team leads are kind of feeling a bit more comfortable with the idea of saying, you know what, like it, it's okay to massage some cards mm. now and then um, and just, you know, throw them back in there, see how, see how it goes. Um, but, you know, always when they announce this stuff, it's you know, almost always based on just their data, being able to see that it's like, well, this, this card is in 80% of all decks of this type. Like that's, that's yeah. too much. Yeah, we want to be able to have people feeling like, that, that they don't have to carry a certain card well, to have not even prevalent in decks. You can track win rate of individual cards as well. And if that number yeah. starts to creep up, then I think that's the thing you need to look at. Um, I guess the yeah, team's completely. always been very ponderous when it comes to changing existing cards, but I think it's nice to see uh, a more uh, responsive approach to balancing the meta, um, especially when it's in the state that it's in now. Yeah. Just a more, I guess, targeted and, frankly, fast approach to balancing the meta and keeping the game fresh when they are detecting problem cards like that. Uh, but a- a- as you yeah. said, I think everything everything that they've nerfed except Emerald Spellstone is, is classic, which is yeah. very interesting. Um, I think it was... I think it was Raynad who was saying this, who was saying um, something along the lines of uh, that there should be a rotating core set rather than the classic set because having a set of classic cards that doesn't change year on year is actually damaging to the health of the game and that's what's limiting their design space moving forward and that's what's leading to nerfs like this. Like a four a four mana quality is not playable. Um, but yeah, look, it's a really good point. I think um, it'll be interesting to see how they yeah how they approached in the year ahead because um yeah it's like how you know is there that way of changing what the base set is because we've got the there's the you know there's the base set and then the classic set um is there a way of altering in some way you know the, the concept of classic and shifting it into a base that then does change um on that kind of you know whenever the new year of the whatever arrives that there are changes made to the base or something like that um yeah it's a really interesting point um and what i think we we you know this is the last set of this mm-hmm. year obviously um i think the <clears throat> i think the cha- world championship final is scheduled for april i think um and that is going to be in taiwan so yeah that's going to be i guess you know hopefully <clears throat> by then or around then Hang on a second. <coughs> Choked on something or other. Um, yeah, hopefully by then or around then we'll actually have a better idea of the uh, of the path ahead, both for the esports side of things because they haven't said much so far this year, um, and and yeah, and just the state of how they yeah. approach sets and things because of course that's always that Hall of Fame window exactly. as well. And 
sometimes, yeah, that's its own interesting I think it's discussion. interesting, and it's not dissimilar to the way uh, the way Magic the Gathering uh, keeps uh, current or keep their modern set and their standard yeah. sets separate. Completely. Uh, and I think as the card pool gets bigger, that's the kind of approach you need to take. But the opportunity there is putting cards that you've released since in other expansions in your in your core set. Um, and you can open up really interesting cards that never really got a fair run or have interesting takes or would work with sets that are coming up. Uh, but those are essentially relegated to wild uh, because of the way the blocks in Hearthstone work. Yeah, and and like I, I've actually been having quite a bit of fun over in Wild now and then. You know, it's mm-hmm. like there's nothing against it, and, but you're right; it's just it's a whole different game space, and that does mean uh, that it, yeah, there is that potential as well to to maybe if there's a way of you know elevating people's appreciation of Wild in some respects, might mean they can then really focus down what standard is. Uh, and what you know, what it means, and how all of those kind of baseline aspects work um, alongside it. So you know, because in the end, I think there's still, I'm sure, there's lots of kind of just you know the the casual players who they just want to play with the cards they own, you know, and um, you know they don't care if they're in a competitive realm versus a you know just oh yeah, I'm just playing mm-hmm. against people, you know, and what, it's no big deal. Um, so yeah, maybe in some way the unranked versus ranked kind of is something that gets changed so if you are just playing in casual mode maybe there's a change to what card sets you know are available in casual versus ranked though then that also starts to get pretty complicated doesn't it so (laughs) that becomes its own issue is you don't want to necessarily confuse everybody okay we have two last bullet points here on the list um, one is I just, you know, I like golf claps. Uh, I'm just kind of quietly clapping to my mic there, vaguely. Um, I'm excited that Heroes of the Storm is getting community, community tournaments. Um, coming back in the scene, like the, the end of HGC at the end of last year absolutely kind of shattered uh, a lot of people and their kind of love for that game. Clearly, it was always playing, you know, a distant third to, to Dota and to League of Legends. Um, but it had absolutely built, you know, its devoted community and, uh, you know, in, in Blizzard style, like running their very kind of serious full-fledged version of a league system um, in countries all around the world and then having the global championships. Um, yeah, it really kind of shocked people that they cancelled it quite late in the year. But it really does seem like that over the, you know, over the, the summer slash winter um, that we've actually seen that a lot of the different um, communities, Heroes Half in particular, I think stands out as one that um, seems to have done a lot of work over that time to see, you know, can we get all those teams that do still, you know, see that this is a, a game that they love and they want to play at the highest level, creating the opportunity for them to start a grassroots esports scene um, that, yeah, that lets it build up again and, and kind of get back to that idea of this is about the community first and let's have some fun in you know a competitive way. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I don't think anyone can ever fault investment in grassroots community style play for any game, uh, especially when it's especially when publishers decide to get involved with it, because that's how that's how you develop esports into something that is 
this is obviously macro scale, but that's how you develop esports into something that becomes a cultural mainstay, right? Because then it's not something that you watch and it's out of reach because of the echelon of play. There's actually a progression path to get there. And especially for a game like Heroes of the Storm, which was which was by no means a bad game. I feel like it's easy to rag on it. But it was it was a solid core game. It just suffered, as you said, by virtue of being a distant third to two of the biggest games to have ever existed. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, it, it, I think any other game company probably would have been quite pleased to have this, you know, the level of success that Heroes of the Storm was probably having. But in that MOBA space, it's like, yeah, the amount of daylight between you and essentially the two biggest games on the planet, you know, that aren't Fortnite because it's kind of actually mm-hmm. caught up to those two. Um, yeah, it's just, it's such a different, you know, a different space to be in. But what I, last weekend, there was a first event. Um, Heroes Half started this thing called um, Fight Night, you know, and it's kind of like the idea of having a bit of a, a grudge match night. I think, you know, best of three between two teams, um, you know, with the casting and everything. And I tuned in for it for a while and it, it just seemed like there was so much kind of, you know, positive love being thrown, you know, at the idea that that something like this is going to happen. And I think one part of it that kind of jumps out at me is that idea that particularly for something that is not as big as League in particular, where like League is big enough that it can do weekly competition in lots of different parts of the world in the lead up to a big world championship event um, but when you aren't that big, and even quite frankly, Dota doesn't do a league system. They do tournament-based mm-hmm. systems around the world. You know, they are kind of sanctioned tournaments, and people accumulate points by attending tournaments, and then that leads up to the international. You know, in this case, it might be better for that game where it is a case of going. There's a tournament on this weekend, and therefore all the fans think, "Oh yeah, I should watch it because." It, it's not always on, whereas I think there can be that problem of people going, well, it's on every weekend, and, like, I just, I'm busy this weekend, so I could watch it next weekend. Uh, you know, it just gives it a whole different idea that it's always going to be sitting there waiting for you to watch it versus the idea of going, it's no, no, it's, it's, it's gone away now. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, now it is. It's that idea of going, well, hey, like, maybe it's once a month, maybe, you know, whatever kind of a timing it would be, suddenly you know, oh, like, this weekend, these teams are fighting it out and someone's mm-hmm. going to win a title. You know, they're going to win a trophy, not a, they're going to get two points in the accumulation of points through to the end of the year. Um, so I think that, yeah, that might t- sort of do something for the, the dynamic of fans feeling like they need to tune in and support it as well. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited for, for how this develops. I think this weekend is another big competition. I think it's called something like Toasty and Gladman's <laughs> Heroes something. So I'm sure if you look up Toasty and Gladman, um, Invitational. There we go. Toasty and Gladman's Heroes Invitational. Uh, and so that's happening uh, this coming weekend. So, yeah, I'm sure you'll find it on your Twitches um, if you go and look it up. Um, but, yeah, so hopefully, you know, I, I just, I, you know, wish it all the best because I, I have a lot of fun playing that game. Um, yeah, just it clearly struggled as an esports concept and, you know, and so the rug got pulled. Um, but we'll see, yeah, we'll see how it goes from there. Um, I, I just realized when I scrolled down the page that we, we've got the, you know, we've got to hit the Overwatch stuff, but that's okay. We'll be wrapped up in time. Um, but StarCraft. Right, okay. There's been some really interesting stuff around this DeepMind versus StarCraft professional players 
um, because most of the headlines people will have seen are the whole idea that, uh, you know, uh, Google's DeepMind, which in this case, I think it called itself AstroStar for this StarCraft competition. And we've been hearing bits and pieces about it over the last uh, 18 months, I think, uh, it was since uh, BlizzCon 2017 when they first showed that DeepMind was going to, you know, it was finished beating humans at chess and Go, and now it was time to beat them at a far more complicated game. Uh, and <laughs> I love yeah, it, that it, the it far more complete... complicated game they go to after Go is StarCraft 2. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, you know, part of, part of that whole idea was one of the, the lead researchers at DeepMind used to love playing StarCraft. <laughs> and he went, I want to see if I can make an AI that could really beat the best humans. Um, and this is where it starts to kind of fall down a little bit because, like, yes, they held a competition. I think it went, like, 5-0 and zero and, like, against two different uh, high-level pros uh, I think both, like, I can't remember their names, both of them were ranked, like, top 50 in the world, you know, so, like, when no slouches whatsoever. You probably wouldn't see them on, you know, on finals tournament stages all that often because they're not top eight necessarily, but absolutely, you know, these are full grandmaster, you know, top, mm-hmm. top flight players, um, and they both got smashed by this AI. Um, but when some pe- and so yes, so they're the headlines that most people have seen. That like, oh yep, we've been beaten at StarCraft as well now. It's like, over. It's all over. Um, thanks everybody. Yeah. Um, but a few people started digging into it and found like multiple issues at play. You know, one of them was that you know, well, technically they said that they were putting limits on the actions per minute that that it could perform. Um, what seems to have been the benchmark though was the, you know, the standard kind of human APM type numbers that we see. Um, but the fact is that a lot of those APMs are essentially like spam clicks mm-hmm. of people, you know, and almost like between a mixture of fidget clicking and just spam clicking. Um, you, you know, like as somebody's trying to just say, you know, focus in on one particular spot and they click five times in a row rather than, you know, only click once and go, oh, I didn't hit the right spot, you know. So, yet that kind of stuff happening with human players. Now, in the context of the computer getting told, yep, it's okay for you to um, to click, you know, uh, 300 times per minute um, like a, you know, a high-level human, except the computer is able to click perfectly anywhere on the map that many times per second. Yeah. <laughs> So suddenly you're going, well, that's that's obscenely superhuman. Like, And that's where this debate came up of actions per minute versus meaningful clicks per minute. <laughs> and it's like if 100% of APM is a meaningful click for the AI, then it is in no way being constrained to human capabilities. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, then, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we've uh, the other thing was they made it Protoss versus Protoss was the only way because... It basically couldn't handle asymmetric uh, competition mm-hmm. just yet. So, you know, we get these kinds of restrictions on the humans to say, now, is, you know, we'll, we'll only play a symmetrical competition between the two armies. Um, but then, yeah, then the, uh, the AI is unconstrained on other elements. Uh, another one being like that it's, yeah, it's API uh, powered rather than kind of being screen uh, mm-hmm. constrained in some way. So it can basically see, you know, it had perfect it, Fog of War yeah. exists. Well, but not can perfect. S- yeah, but it can see. Of, so it didn't yeah, have to scroll right. around the map. 
Exactly. Like it's essentially like it's able to perfectly click on the minimap and it knows exactly what everything on the minimap is just by looking right. at the minimap. You know, and, and can perform all functions via minimap at all times. <laughs> so, yeah, not quite the same as what a human player would be doing. And then I think, the, yeah, in, like in one final game, they actually set up a constraint so that it could only play through a standard camera view rather than through its kind of whole screen API thing. Uh, and in that one game, it mm-hmm. lost. Um, though apparently even part of that loss, um, reading kind of the end, and I'll, I'll link up the uh, the stories that we found in the, in the notes, but um, one of the elements that they found was uh, that that particular human player um, basically found a bit of a, an error in the AI and was able to cheese it by um, basically convincing it to keep kind of sending its army backwards and forwards between its base and, you know, and its effort to go and push, uh, push an attack just by having like one little kind of, uh, you know, uh, warp, uh, it's a warp prism, um, you know, a ship where it was just kind of dropping off a couple of units to just harass mm-hmm. the, the probes um, back at the base and while it was doing that, it would kind of then bring all of its stalkers back across the map to go to come back to defend. And it, and then every time they got anywhere nearby, he'd just like pull the troops back out and just wait for them to walk <laughs> away again. And, and kind of found it just was not learning that it's like, I'm just going to keep doing this to you and distract your entire army while I now keep building my That's army. That's interesting. Over the and like that, um, I guess, speaks to almost, yeah. almost a lack of pattern recognition. I mean, you've got to think like if this is a learning algorithm... <laughs> Yeah. At what pace does it learn? Yeah. Well, apparently it was the, uh, you know, in terms of observing human games, because it's basically been able to um, to pull in all the data from all human games being played, uh, you know, on Battle.net over the last 18 months. Um, and, you know, I don't know what historic data as well. But then, you know, it was training itself against itself in that kind of, um, you know, adversarial network type style where it'll, you know, play matches against, uh, you know, mm-hmm. another AI. Um, and apparently it played about 200 years worth of games. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, technically it... Uh, but, uh, I mean, it is fascinating that every part of how it's learned to play is just through observation. It's never been told the rules of the game. Everything has just been by uh, these kind of match observations and then by kind of trying to play itself and working out what does or doesn't work. Uh, and then, yeah, and you know, uh, I know one of the things was that apparently it's yeah, it's it's micro skills. You know, again, in that context of meaningful clicks, um, apparently its ability to you know to make units be better than other units because it could so perfectly do little kind of uh, you know teleports and and jinks and different kinds of you know clever micro movements to avoid being attacked. Um, yeah, it was just genuinely superhuman. Um, and on another level, you go well. Show us, show us then. Show us the best that you know that the uh, AI can do. If we do, if we tell it, yeah, just click as often as you like and as fast as you like, um, and just destroy us. Show us how yeah. you will destroy us humans. Now that we've taught you how to run and military, kind of want to see two computers <laughs> playing that game. Like, where is the deep mind yes. versus deep mind <laughs> game? Yeah. yeah. Actually, you're right. I want that. I want that match recorded and available in the uh, replays. Uh, I yep. still remember, <laughs> I guess it would be a few years ago now, when um, AlphaGo first hit and it was the 
it was the Go tournament against the best Go players in the world. But I guess the key difference is like when you look at chess and Go, those are perfect information games, um, and they're not yeah. about there's no there's no dexterity element to them. They're just pure strategy. Go in in a particular case is the purest strategy game, um, and those were obviously chess was brute forced and then go was the next evolution of that which was you can't brute force you actually need to learn strategy to be able to beat another player um but this is really interesting because it's not even just the complexity of movement in something like starcraft it's the fact that you don't have access to perfect information within the game exactly and that was a big part of when they first announced it that idea of saying yeah how can an ai deal with uh with that fog of war and with imperfect information uh, and then on top of that, yeah, being able to, um, you know, to just, yeah, have to kind of um, learn it from scratch without being shown any rules. And they mentioned asymmetric back in that first time. So I do look forward to when they eventually go, yeah, you know, pick whatever race you like and, you know, and we'll we'll deal with it. Um, that, that will be fun to watch. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's an interesting project. And, um I mean, the thing I think we don't get based on the way it works right now, and this is probably the thing that I kind of, it would be interesting if they could get that kind of, you know, human equivalent um, constraint working correctly, is that, you know, the one of the things that it, it doesn't care about is what humans think the yeah. matter is, right? You know, um, and that's the stuff that would be fascinating to watch is for it to kind of come in and go, actually, if you use this, it would be the ultimate well, actually. <laughs> Having an AI come in and basically show us that, like, all these units that you humans have assumed are the best in the game are completely wrong, um, and here's why. <laughs> and that would be a really, really fascinating... Or, yeah, or some weird strategy of, like, you know, building bunkers. Well, forever. I remember um, <laughs> back to the, the AlphaGo game, something similar to that happened where the AI was making moves that seemed completely random and unplanned and strategical misfires, but it turned out that the strategy it was employing had just not been seen before. Like it was thinking essentially so yeah, far ahead of where the game was and making these completely unpredictable moves that the human players who were the best players in the world had never seen things like this before. Yeah. I, I loved um, the language that the commentators and the players were using in that AlphaGo series, you know, when they were talking about the elegance of the mm-hmm. AI's play, you know, and just these kinds of, yeah, concepts where, you know, they're really applying kind of creativity and beauty to the way that the AI was making decisions. I just love, I, I remember hearing, I think the, I think it was like the second best player in the world, you know, in some interview saying, it was, he basically said it was like playing <laughs> God because it could, it could do things I never even um, dreamed of. <laughs> I, I'm sure these matches are still online somewhere and I would absolutely recommend people go back and watching them. It sounds ridiculous watching an AI play against humans in Go, but it is the most captivating viewing. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great. We, I mean, we watched it with the kids when that was happening and, yeah, that, I mean... Like there's so much to be said, right? And this is kind of an esports thing, right? Through to you know watching go uh, when you have a commentator who can guide you through what's happening. Uh, it just means so much to the experience, you know. And you're not just kind of sitting there blindly going, "Well, apparently that was good because a bunch of people." Understanding the um, significance of it, you're really 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, and that was even part of the, you know, of watching the, the, the Method World First Race as well, actually, honestly. Yeah, act, listening to a bunch of people who really could understand what they were trying to do, how their strat worked, um, you know, and like that iteration on the attempts and why they were making certain decisions or why they would take breaks at certain times even. Um, it was a great way of kind of helping you to understand just how hard they were working uh, and, you know, the kinds of things that would be going mm-hmm. through their head. So, um, yeah, so much to be said for having people who know what they're talking about um, help you walk through it. But, all right, we got one last thing. Overwatch. 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 Luke, you know the ways of I... the Overwatch. Um, I've heard that there have been some patchy things going on and that it is changing up there all have. of the um, So I think the past couple of balance patches of the past few months, I... I need to preface this by saying I am traditionally a tank player in Overwatch. I like my big beefy boys. I like having a big health pool and I like standing in front of other people while I'm the one who gets hit. The tank meta is not in a healthy place in Overwatch right now. Um, And there are like things to hone into. Like I was a D.Va main for a long time and D.Va has been completely gutted both in like her armor balance and the way her defense matrix works now, a whole bunch of things. Rather than get into the specific iterations of what oh. happens to every character, um, there's a talking point that seems to come up a lot around balance patches these days. And that is that Overwatch is starting to be balanced around high level Overwatch League play rather than the mass core player base. And yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, when you look at a game like Overwatch, which obviously has a very robust, very popular competitive scene, but still has a huge normie player base, who do you balance that for? Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's a huge question. I mean, it, it is. It's so hard, isn't it? And I think last year there were there were kind of problems at the at the viewership level for Overwatch League with the fact that they were playing on Mm -hmm. different patches than the public because they didn't want to kind of have halfway through a season, have players needing to deal with the fact a new patch had come through and so they were sort of delayed on certain characters arriving or different things. And there's something to be said for the idea that it was weird for a fan to kind of go, oh, like, uh, you know, I just had some fun playing this game this weekend. Oh, I'm not going to flick on the Overwatch League. Why Why aren't they, where's, like, why aren't they running, uh, yeah, Brigida, you know? And it was like, because she's not in the esports patch yet. I was like, that's, why that's is weird. She not? Why, yeah. why don't they get to play with the same cool things I do? And it's like, because they haven't had enough time to train with the new character. It's like, like oh, it, okay. it makes sense, um, but it's not. It, yeah. it feels like they're not playing the same game as you, which I think diminishes diminishes part of the joy that you would get from watching esports. Like if you are playing traditional sports, you're playing the same game that a professional is playing. They're just playing it at a different level to you. And yeah, I think yeah. when yeah, there's that question of if the you know at an esports level, the kind of perfection of team coordination means that all these synergies can exist between characters that just don't exist when you are playing mm-hmm. a quick match, uh, you know, or you're playing in bronze um, or you're playing in gold for that matter. You know, that it just you are not getting that kind of synchronization of a team. Um, and therefore, yeah, that those 
benefits and peak use case scenarios of any given character is just like not uh, it's just not appearing on the map in the same in the same experience. So you're right. It's like playing a bit of you know touch footy out in the back garden versus you know watching elite pros play that same mm-hmm. same game. But yeah, it's, I mean, how do you think? Uh, do you have theories on how they uh, find a path on uh, that? Honestly, I've got nothing. Just bring back tanks. Um, <laughs> I think you just yeah. I just want my tanks you, to you work. You do need to find a balance because this is almost a ground up thing for any game that wants to be taken seriously as an esport. It needs it needs certain things. It needs levels of watchability. It needs good signaling. It needs spectator modes. Uh, so there needs to be stuff built into it, ground up, that make it work as an esport if you want it to have any kind of any kind of audience base any kind of credibility uh but you don't want to sacrifice your core player experience when you do that and i i honestly don't know what the answer is here i just feel like this is a question that publishers like blizzard are going to need to address i mean it it could also it could always be a Hmm. The simplest, even if it's not the most elegant solution, is to just split them. But then you have the issue where you're not playing the same game. You're either playing on the pro comp patch or the regular patch, and that's not satisfying because you don't want to be fear. You don't want to feel as if you are not good enough to play the same game the professionals are playing. Yeah, and look, I wonder if the, is there a. I, I think I heard recently that some, you know, grassroots kind of fun overwatch competition was starting to play with um with mm-hmm. adding bands into um into its its way of approaching the game and you know that's kind of always a potential thing where at that pro level that you know you have that band phase where you're you know assessing that like you'd be like hey jonak can never yeah. have a zenyatta again um you know you kind of find those ways of thinking about which is how do we yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, which is interesting, but it runs kind of counter to part of the core gameplay loop of Overwatch, which is that you can change yeah. your character at any moment. It's yeah, not like completely. a MOBA where you pick your character and that's who you are for the entire round. Um so yeah, it's it's a definitely a really really complicated one for them to yeah, to manage, but I mean at this yeah, there's definitely that element of and I seem to remember, I think, over the, the summer at some point that Jeff Kaplan made some comment about, you know, um, lots of people claim they're playing GOAT, but they're not playing GOAT. You know? Yeah. And But I think it almost kind of feeds into the the issue of changing it, you know, when it's like, well, if, if there's been this kind of really epic kind of tank meta that's been around for a while, um, but actually it only really works incredibly well at the elite level, it's like, well... You know, isn't there some clever massaging you can do um, to to balance that out? Because I'm not even sure that that particular meta ever really saw significant usage in Overwatch League itself. I think in the Contenders League stuff, mm-hmm. um, which has been played a lot more frequently in that off season, um, I think it's been in that quite a lot. But you know, it's like it never even had a heyday at the top tier of Overwatch esports. So, um, you know, is there something almost there as well of going, well, you know, it's it's one way of playing and it, you know, would it have been that big a drama if it was, you know, still effective if you 
if you could play it incredibly well, um, you know, versus the rest of us who are just trying to run around and have fun with the tanks. Yeah, and look, I, I just need to say it is the year of the pig, so can we bring back the hook? Can we bring back Roadhog, please? I miss playing Roadhog so much. Is he, is he basically just completely unusable? He's fine. He's just... It's the same issue that he's had since day dot, essentially. He's an alt sponge. He has no shield and no evasion, so the other team just shoots him and gets alt. Right. <laughs> um, but his meatball doesn't do enough. I will complain for a long time, and people will call me up being biased, and goddammit, I am, but Roadhog <laughs> needs a damage buff. He does. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, look, I will, I will throw in just one last mention about Overwatch because uh, Overwatch League is coming back shortly. Um, I will no doubt catch up with some of our um, local caster friends uh, as that kicks into gear. But um, the one really cool thing was that last year, I think it was partway into the season that they introduced the all-access pass. And that was the idea of, you know, it was a Twitch pass and you could get a special, like, command center view in a browser to have like multiple views available to you and you know and lots of like um stats and different kinds of things um which was just you know that extra kind of cool uh cool way if you if you're following any sport it's good to have all the stats and things in front of you but one of the the new things this year was um that they've made it i think about half the price so last year i think it was about like 29 us dollars and this year it's going to be about 15 us dollars um they're adding in a bunch of new features to how it works. Um, probably the biggest being that you can actually now choose the POV of any individual player on on the map, which I think for someone who is, you know, someone who wants to be good at Overwatch, um, there's something to be said for being able to say, you know, I just want to sit in... Uh, you know, whatever awesome player is Winston and just just watch him mm-hmm. play Winston from his POV and learn where does he stand on certain maps, you know, what does he do, how does he do it, um, you know, or to learn how to be, you know, as good as, you know, Gaguri on uh, Zarya, <laughs> you know, like um, all those kinds of things where you, like or Jonak on, Zen, yeah, Zenyatta, Um it would be really cool to have that option to actually be able to just go, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to ride shotgun with this player and watch them do their thing. Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's, I guess, how you get a much better sense of the moment to moment gameplay from those players. You can see the over level, you can see a top level view and you can see people coming around corners and you can see team based plays. But I think seeing comms and mechanical skill from that angle, that's going to be really cool. So, yeah, I think a nice kind of little upgrade. Like, one of the things they've taken away was I think last year they um, they gave people, what was it? Um, like, they had a couple of special skins that you got as part of buying the all-access pass. Um, I think this year you get, you get a couple of hundred Overwatch tokens, so I guess you can, like, buy a skin or two um, of, you know, your favourite team. Uh, and yeah, it seems like a smarter way to do it than just having a weird exclusive skin that doesn't actually represent any team, given that you've just bought an Overwatch <laughs> League All Access Pass and you probably have a team that you really want to want to support. Um, have you seen all the new teams and stuff? Do you have a team that you've picked out randomly, even though we don't have I Australian have seen the new teams and random? I am holding out hope. I will not pick a team until we have someone in Tipidian that we can get behind. I've decided, like, I know this is going to be a long wait, and I know that any team we get will be no good, but I can wait. I'm going to wait until Australia has a proper team. 
<laughs> There's a lot to be said for the de facto green and gold LA Valiant, who is essentially captained by Australian Custer. Um, yeah, True. it is hard to go past. But though, yeah, in the off season, I you know only heard this late last year from somebody, um, um, and uh, yeah, that um, uh, what's his name? One of the the Aussie Gumba, who was work also behind mm-hmm. the scenes at Valiant that he actually is moving to, I think, Boston. So he's going to be coaching at Boston, which which splits up that Aussie connection behind the scenes um, and, yeah, kind of takes away some of that shine off the LA Valiant angle. Um, but I think I, I'm I'm actually kind of going to barrack for, I think, Guangzhou Charge this year because I like their colour scheme, kind of a steely, like two different blues, but one's like a navy, one's like a steely blue. Um, I like that they've got a logo that is a lightning bolt in the white space of the G and the Z. Um, I'm just a mm-hmm. sucker for that kind of white space design. Um, and, you know, they're vaguely in our neighborhood because they're from China. <laughs> they're in our time zone-ish. Oh, that's a long bow. <laughs> and, yeah, maybe uh, now that there are four Chinese teams... Um, you know, they should all probably win our game. You know, that will still be the big thing at the start of the season is can Who, Shanghai... Oh, yeah. How, how quickly can they end their 0-40 and 40 losing streak? Um, <laughs> because that's tough. And I'm sure everybody will be hoping that they can break that hoodoo at some point. <laughs> Look, I will, we have really had a, a good long chat um, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, are you going to apologize? Only if I have to. No, no, you don't. It's okay. Okay, good. Um, then I will be unapologetic. Excellent. Good work. And look, really, really good to catch up, Luke. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, we will uh, bump into each other in, in games and in the real world sometimes um, in coming uh, Hopefully times. four games in the real world. That would be cool. Um, yeah. And uh, look, thank you again. And can you mention to people where they can find you on the socials so they can tell you about your bad opinions? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the best place to find me, my bad opinions, and the things I'm working on uh, will be Twitter, home of all bad opinions, and you can find me at LG Lancaster. Oh, and, and give give a shout out to your new comic book as well. That uh, would be yeah, terribly uh, I, If you want to check out a pretty cool web comic called Pound, uh, you can check that out on Webtoons. Just go to Webtoons, and it's the one called Pound. Funnily enough, uh, that's Webtoons T O O N S. Uh, which is a really free webcomic platform designed entirely for mobile, but that's a whole other tangent that I'm not going to go down right now. <laughs> uh, also, come to PAX because PAX is fun. Uh, and check out I Speak Giant, the D&D podcast that I do weekly. Awesome. Uh, Vinny Cupcakes, is that right? Vinny Cupcakes. Hey. <laughs> yes. And I'm sorry, what period is it set in? Uh, it, it, it is very much a fantasy podcast. I just happen to be playing a gnome slash warlock slash gangster. <laughs> it makes sense in context, I promise you. Awesome. Uh, look, thank you again, Luke, and thank you all the humans and the AIs who might be listening in, trying to learn how do they um, do podcasts better than humans. Um, they wouldn't learn much from this podcast. They would probably do a much better job really quickly. Um, yes, you can catch me on Twitter. I'm at Seamus. Um, and Biteside.com is now uh, up and live where you can find all the different shows that I'm working on. Uh, and until next time, we will uh, catch you then.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.